The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Okay, this morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 7, and we'll read verses 37 to 52, and then we'll jump over to chapter 8, verse 12. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, No man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, Are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't, know, uh, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? Uh, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And now John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Um, this here is a photo of an actual antique that my mom had. She, she was, she's a, a collector of all kinds of weird, random knickknacks and items and stuff. And, and this one was in our like in our home on the mantle of our like of our like on our fireplace and i remember my my friends when they would come over to visit they would like ask me why do you guys have this this is a a, a, a an ashtray with a little it's a little bronze ashtray and there's a, a little jewish boy who is naked and he's peeing into this pool that has a swastika at the bottom and my friends would ask me like why do you have this you guys aren't jewish are you and uh we're not jewish um Although my my mom, when I was a kid, I realized now she was she was pretty sympathetic to the Jews and to the cause of of the Jewish people, and I didn't really get it. I didn't know their story. I knew a little bit of, about the the Jews from World War II. I knew about the Holocaust a little bit. I knew that there was a wall where the Jews would go and they would cry there. But then I learned about the story of Israel, and I became fascinated by it, especially as I got older and I got into the Bible. Uh, and and I, the Lord got a hold of my life. I learned to appreciate the promises that God had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he would make them a nation and a people and a land, and he would be their God and they would be his people. And and then there was 400 years of slavery. And then there was the Exodus. And then they end up in the promised land under the leadership of, of Joshua after Moses. But then, as you know, they forget God. And, and so there's a kingdom uh, you know, that, that's, that King Saul uh, begins and establishes and continues in David. 
And then there's a, a temple under, the, under King Solomon. But God's people are conquered and they are exiled because they betray God. And, and then there's this glimmer of hope during the exile. You know, hope in this, this hero who would come, this Messiah. And after 70 years, they return. And it's like, surely now Messiah is going to come. But no. And, and from then on, the promised land is, is colonized by one empire after another, whether Persians or Greeks or Romans and on and on. Uh, and even today, it is contested and some people think colonized. But by this time, by this time where we pick up the story in John 7 and 8, many people have forgotten what's happened. They're in the dark and they're like, they have very little, very little of their story, very little of their identity. They have the law, they have their traditions, they have their stories. And, and that's why it's important to remember that as the New Testament begins, there is one group who are sort of the, the stewards and the guardians of the Jewish identity. And there this, this group is saying, it's not too late, guys. If we keep God's law, he will see and he will answer our prayers from heaven. He will send Messiah and, and, and he will come. And, and you know who that group was? It was the Pharisees. And, and, you know, you and I have learned to see the Pharisees as the bad guys and as the problem in the New Testament. But during this period, in, in lots of ways, the Pharisees are actually the protectors of Israel. Now, today's passage is, is kind of unique. A lot of the stuff that preaches in this passage is stuff that you can't know if you're not familiar with Judaism. Um, and, and so today is going to be a little different. Um, it's going to be a bit of a deep dive into Jewish culture. You might learn a few things about Jewish history and, and traditions. You might even learn a bit of Hebrew. Um, so I'm going to use some muscles I haven't used in a, in a little while. But um, I want, what I want us to notice, though, uh, actually, before we get too far, is that John's, John's gospel here is interrupted in chapters 7 and 8 by this story of Jesus and the adulterous woman, which we've, we talked about a few weeks back. Uh, so we're going to skip that story for today because we have studied it already. Um, but uh, so, but uh, so today our focus though is on this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. I, in fact, I think that um, I think this is an important study because a lot of us, if we're honest, we actually have an inner Pharisee. You know, we sort of feel responsible. Uh, to protect the faith and or to to protect the traditions, to protect the laws and customs and culture, um, and and in some ways, your inner Pharisee is afraid of Jesus. You know, your inner Pharisee thinks Jesus is a threat to to some of the things that you care about. And so, for us to uh, uh, you know understand what's going on in this section, I think that that's really important. I think uh, it you know. I'm not just going to talk about the, the Feast of Tabernacles today. I'm going to, I want us to, in part, to experience it. I want us to take the posture of the Jewish worshipers who came into town for this festival. Uh, because there's some parts of this festival that I think really preach. And I want us to experience those the way they did. The, these, the, they're sort of, it's divided into these three blessings. The sukkah blessing, the water blessing, and the light blessing. And so we're going to go through these together. Let's first talk about the sukkah blessing, okay? You don't know what that is, probably. But way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, at the beginning of the Old Testament, God creates this festival. He institutes a festival meant to remind Israel 
how he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And he told them in Leviticus 23, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, uh, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so the, a booth is a Sukkot. Can you say Sukkot? Yeah, Sukkot is, Sukkot is the name of the Feast of Booths. And it's, uh, it revolves around these sukkah. A sukkah is a, is a booth or a tent or a blessing. A sukkah had three or four walls and it was open on one side and had a roof uh, that was made of branches or slats so that you could actually see through it and see the stars. And during this period of Jewish history, during Jesus' day, uh, the, the, the booths and the tents, these sukkah would fill the streets of Jerusalem and they would spill outside the wall of Jerusalem and out into the, into the fields and into the towns. And pilgrims came from all around in order to set up their sukkah and share in this sukkot, this feast of booths, this feast of tabernacles. And once all the sukkah are built, you, uh, you stop and you wait for the priest's blessing at the beginning of the festival. And here's what happens. When the priest gives a blessing, here's what you do. So I want you to do this. You bow your head, you close your eyes, and you raise your hands because the priest says his blessing, and it goes like this. Here's the sukkah blessing. Okay, you ready for this? Baruch etah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kidsha'anu B'mitzvotav V'itzv'anu Le'eshev Ba'sukkah Which means, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with covenant, calling us to dwell in the sukkah. And you know, when the priest is finished, there's this great trumpet blast, and it's the beginning of this seven-day party. That's what Sukkot is. There's food, and there's music, and dancing, and waving of willow branches, and you go and you visit one another's sukkah, and you share meals. Uh, like the whole nation is going on this big camping trip, okay? And to this day, Jews, and even many Christians, still celebrate Sukkot, this Feast of Tabernacles. And it's crowded, and it's loud, and it's charged, and, it's, and, and it would be the perfect time for Jesus to crash in on a stallion and say, the revolution starts here, will you join in our crusade, and who will be strong and stand with me? And of, of course, that's what some people wanted, that's what his brothers wanted. And he tells them in, in, in verse 8, that's not why I've come, you guys. So why does he show up here? Jesus shows up here because he is our sukkah. Jesus is our sukkah. In fact, in the introduction to John's gospel, we read that the word became flesh and in, in Greek, tabernacled among us. You know, in Hebrew, the translation is that he became flesh and he made his sukkah among us. And so what the prophets have foretold has come true. Messiah has come to Zion. He's not there to start a revolution, though. He's here to share his sukkah. And so Jesus is the sukkah blessing. And so now there's this second blessing that comes along where the priest gives. It's the, the water blessing. So you, don't, you probably don't know this, but Sukkot happens in October. It's the start of the rainy season when the land is parched. And uh, summer had been, you know, hot and dry. And, and so now if the Lord wills it, rain is going to come and the crops and the livestock, are every, everybody is going to thrive. And so the seventh day of Sukkot is the day for the water celebration. And what happens is that early in the morning, the priest, 
he takes this little silver pitcher and he goes way down, 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 down in a parade. Uh, the parade follows him all the way down to the bottom of Jerusalem in the, in the pool of Siloam to get a little bit of water from the pool. And then he follows the, the parade follows him as he goes all the way up, 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 back through Jerusalem, all the way up to the temple. And as he goes, the people are on the sidelines cheering him on, saying, uh, reciting Isaiah 12, 3, saying, with, uh, with joy, you will draw from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw from the wells of salvation. And then the priest finally, he gets there to the, to the temple, and it's time for the next blessing, which is the water blessing. And so, everybody, it's your turn. Heads down, eyes closed, hands raised. Because the priest is going to do the water blessing. And he says, Achna Adonai Hoshiana, Achna Adonai Hatzlichana, Baruch Haba Besheim Adonai. Which means, save us, Lord. Save us, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the people hear, Hoshana. And you heard it too, Hoshana. You heard it. As, as the priest is pouring the water into a, this silver cup, uh, the cup overflows onto the table, onto the altar, and covers it. And the symbolism here is rich. Now, what did it mean? It's a reminder to the people of God's provision. That just like the rain that uh, refreshes the land and causes the people to thrive, God is going to send Messiah. You know, he will send Messiah. And this is what the prophets uh, had been talking about for centuries before Isaiah and Habakkuk, they had they had said uh, back in Habakkuk chapter two, for example, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, and someday all the thirsty nations are going to know the Lord, and that's what this celebration is is all about. And so, listen to Jesus, who chooses this very moment to stand up and to announce to them, verses thirty seven, thirty eight. Listen, everybody, if anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you know what Jesus has just done? He has announced that he has the living water that they thirsted and that they had prayed for all this time. Jesus is the Lord's water blessing. Jesus is the water blessing. That's what he's just done here. Now there's one third and, and, and final part of Sukkot for us to experience together, and it's the light blessing. We've had the sukkah blessing, we've heard the water blessing, and now it's time for the light blessing. So the same night as the day of you know, the same day as the water blessing, it gets to be nightfall, okay? And there's these servants who they climb they climb up a, a 75 ladder, 75 foot ladder up against these giant pillars, and at the top of a pillar, these pillars is a big cauldron, a big bowl with a torch inside. And these, these pillars are inside the court of women, as you can see in the picture here. Uh, and and the, the servants wait at the top of this, this, this rickety ladder with the torch raised, about to drop it into the cauldron and start a fire. And they're waiting for the priest to say the, the, the third blessing, the, the, the light blessing. And so the priest stands with his hands raised and his and uh, the people stand with their hands raised and with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. So you go ahead. Okay. You standing? Yeah, good. And the priest says the light blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melecha Alam 
אשר קידשענו במצוותיו, ועצבענו לחדלק נאכל יום טוב. Which means, Blessed are you, Lord, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his covenant and calls us to this day of great light. And when that's done, the trumpet blows again, the servants drop their torches in the cauldron, and the court fills with light. Now just so you know, we're not talking about little wax candles here. The wick uh, of these torches is actually made from uh, braided together uh, gar- undergarments from the priests. So over the course of the year, as the priest wears out his underwear, he donates them to the temple. They get woven together into the wick of the torch that's going to be lit uh, during Sukkot, during the light blessing. And once every torch is lit, uh, then then everybody else starts lighting their torches in every part of the temple and in every sukkah across Jerusalem and outside Jerusalem. Now, you might not know this, but Jerusalem, geographically, sort of uh, topographically, Jerusalem is like a giant bowl at the top of a mountain. And during the Sukkot light ceremony, the, the ancient rabbis would say that Jerusalem was a cauldron of light that was visible all the way from Galilee. It was a massive party, and the light was beautiful and brilliant and glorious. And, and, the, and the rabbis would say, He who has not beheld this celebration has never seen joy in his life. Think of that. And that is the moment that Jesus stands up and announces in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. What can this mean? What's going on here? Okay, this is what Zechariah had said centuries before in chapter 14. Zechariah says, There's going to be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be a light. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. It's what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 60 when he said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Zechariah 8, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. It's what Zechariah was talking about in chapter 14. When he said that everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any one of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, there will be no rain on them. Look, the point that what's going on here, someday Messiah is going to gather Israel and all the nations and they're going to worship Yahweh in Zion. And it's beginning It's beginning here with Sukkot during the light festival. And there is no more need for anyone to walk in darkness because 
the light, the true light of the world. The world's true light is here in Jesus Messiah. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it is, unless you are a Pharisee. If you're like some Pharisees, you probably think Jesus is actually dangerous because there's a story that 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 you need to hear. Uh, you know, you try to see this story through the eyes of the Pharisees. You, you probably would help to know that about a hundred years before this, when the Pharisees were just getting started, the uh, the priest King Alexander was in charge, and he hates the Pharisees. He he thinks that they are you know fundamentalists and extremists, and he thinks that uh, they should leave Jerusalem. He asks them to leave Jerusalem, and they, they promised that they had they were going to stay and serve God. So there's this tension between Alexander and the Pharisees. And Alexander the priest, it's time for him to, to perform the water blessing. And he does, except in, instead of pouring out the water into the cup onto the altar, he goes, this is lame. This is, you guys are a bunch of fundamentalists and knuckleheads. This is stupid. Here's what I think of your traditions. And he pours the water out onto his feet, into the dirt. And the Pharisees lose it. They get so upset, they try to stone him. But Alexander sends the temple guards after them. It creates this big brawl. And that evening, by the light of the temple torches, the light of Sukkot, 3,000 Pharisees were killed. And this is that day, but it's now 100 years later, during the light, during the light blessing. And some people believe in Jesus. There are some people who aren't sure. There are some people who think Messiah is not going to come from Galilee. And if you're a Pharisee, you maybe think, well, he's just another Alexander. He is dangerous. He's going to ruin everything. And so it's no surprise in verse 44 that they try to have Jesus arrested. Doesn't that just make sense? And, and, and the thing is, like, even if you didn't know about Alexander at Sukkot 100 years before this, you don't have to look too far back to see times in our own day when Christians, not all Christians, of course, but when in times when Christians thought that the way that we're going to reach a people is to Christianize them, to change the culture and change the, the, you know, the language and change the, the dress and the customs and the way of life so that people have no choice but to convert. Sort of like by, by peer pressure, conversion by peer pressure. And in the same way, it's like the Pharisees are afraid that if Jesus isn't stopped, Israel is going to stay colonized forever. They're never going to be free to live the way that they want. And if you can't sympathize with that fear, with their fear of being colonized, with their fear of being, uh, their fear of being colonized and, and being sort of uh, culturally converted away from God, if you can't relate to that, if you can't sympathize with that, then you are going to totally miss what Jesus is doing at Sukkot. Like, I'm not Jewish, but I do know what it's like to be afraid that if I, if I surrender my life to Jesus, I won't recognize myself. You know, I, I know what it's like to wonder if maybe Christianity is just one more regime and, uh, and, and, and by, by becoming part of the right regime, I, am, I can be saved. I know what it's like to, to be afraid I'm not going to recognize myself if I convert to Jesus, or maybe I'm not going to like who I am if I convert to Jesus anymore. Like, can't you, can't you relate to that? Like, just this total loss of your identity and your loss of culture and traditions. So, so yeah, of course, of course we know what that's like. We, we know what it's like to think maybe Jesus is, is a threat, he's dangerous. 
I, I certainly thought that before I listened to him. And that's why I'm not surprised, actually, that in this story, the officers, they refuse to arrest Jesus. They refuse to because they believe him. They don't think that he's a threat. And I'm not surprised that Nicodemus in chapter 3 wants to give Jesus a chance to convince the Pharisees that, that he's telling the truth. I think that every Pharisee, every Jew, every Gentile who listens to Jesus has to take a look inside and ask, what is it that I'm holding on to? You know, like what is the thing that I'm afraid to lose? What's the thing that Jesus is a threat to in my life? Maybe it's something for you. You know, your inner Pharisee is afraid to lose something if Jesus gets a hold of it. But just so you know, there is good and surprising news. Jesus isn't the end of the things that you love. Okay, He's, he's their fulfillment. He, he's got something important to say to the Pharisees and to my inner Pharisee. It's that he's not here to cancel us. He's not here to cancel your culture or your traditions or your identity or to take away the things that you love. He has come to be your Lord. He's come to embody and fulfill it all. He came to a time and to a place that nobody expected. And he didn't uh, undo the feast. He didn't uh, do away with the feast. He joined it. He joins Sukkot. And so from here on, you know who the true Israel is? The true Israel is everybody who joins him. The true Israel is everybody who receives him by faith. Those who drink of his spirit. Those who are willing to see by the light of Jesus Messiah. I just think this is amazing. This is beautiful. You know, spiritually speaking, think of it, think of it this way. Spiritually speaking, anybody who trusts in Jesus is more a son or daughter of Abraham, than the strictest Pharisee who rejects Jesus. Let me say that again. If you trust in Jesus, you are more a son or daughter of Abraham than the very strictest Pharisee who rejects him. And if you believe, if you believe in Christ, if you believe him, if you trust him, if he is your Lord, your Savior, your treasure, then you have as great a share in the covenants of God as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as Moses, Joshua. Think of it. You have as great a share in God's covenants as Ruth and Deborah and Esther and David and Mary and John and Paul and Peter and on and on and on and every hero you read about in the Bible. And so there's one more blessing we actually need to receive. It's the, it's the blessing of Messiah. And so with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed... And get those, get those hands raised again. Good. Yeah. Here's the Messiah blessing. Here's the blessing of Messiah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan La'anu Dercha HaYeshua Ba Mashiach Yeshua Barakhu Amen Which means, Blessed are you, Lord, King of the Universe, who has given to us a way of salvation through Messiah Jesus. Blessed is he. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, in this moment, I pray that we would reflect on what it is we are afraid to lose by giving ourselves over to you fully. Help us perhaps to be sensitive as well to what the nations fear to lose if they surrender to you. What our neighbors are afraid to lose 
by giving their lives to you. Thank you for listening.